Welcome to this week's episode of Quiddity on the Circe Podcast Network, where we engage in the classical spirit of inquiry. In this episode, we return for part two of a conversation between Matthew Bianco and Katerina Kern on the Ideal School. This episode is brought to you by the Circe Atrium, a dynamic online community where you can explore the foundations of classical education. Choose from one or more of four courses that combine online instruction and group discussions. A frequent contributor on our podcast that plays the thing, Heidi White will be leading the Shakespeare Atrium. Including a close read of one comedy, one tragedy, and one history, as well as several sonnets, this course is a well-rounded curriculum on learning, loving, and teaching the bard. David Hicks' Norms and Nobility is in many ways the impetus behind the Quiddity Podcast. It is a book that deepens with multiple reads and communal contemplation. Tanya Rosell has spent years reading, studying, and discussing this seminal work in the classical renewal. Join Tanya and other fellow educators for this deep dive into David's cistern. After years with Plato's dialogues for his dissertation, Dr. Matthew Bianco wants to help you learn to love them like he does. In this course, he will lead us on the path of the ancient and early medieval teachers into the 10 essential dialogues that are key to understanding all of Plato's works and to knowing and understanding ourselves in the world we live in. Kristen Rudd hated the Divine Comedy until she loved it. Now she has spent several years as a vocal champion of Dante's masterpiece. As Virgil and Beatrice guided Dante, Kristen will guide you through the comedy so you too can learn it, love it, and share that love with others. Go to circeinstitute.org backslash atrium to see more about these courses, including short videos from the instructors. Now let's get to Matt and Katerina for part two of The Ideal School. Thanks for joining us today. Today we're continuing a series on our ideal schools. And this time I get to ask Matt all about his ideal school, which I know he has all the details planned out. All of them. Because he's such a planner, such a detail-oriented planner. Um, okay, so here's my opening question. Okay. I feel like I could hear the criticism in there, but go on. If it was if it was criticizing you, I was criticizing myself as well, because it's, it's just something that's true about both of us, I think. <laughs> um, okay, so maybe that's why we've never started our school. That's probably why. That's probably it. Okay, I'm, I have a different opening question for your school than you might be expecting. So okay. that's all right, though. Bring it. Okay, I'm wondering why your school is necessary. What problems? Since, since yours already exists. <laughs> <laughs> since mine is the perfect school, why yours? No. Um, what problems do you see that you think this school would solve, or or what issues do you see that this school would attempt to address? All of them. Oh, you want me to name the specific? Yeah, like what are, I mean, there's so many existing classical schools and private schools. There's so many options. There's excellent homeschool co-ops. There's excellent schools out there. So what need do you see that isn't being met that you want your school to meet? Right. Uh, let me let me say first that my take on classical education, like my the strongest influences on me in classical education come from Plato and James Taylor, James Taylor's mm. book, Poetic Knowledge. So one of, the, one of the things that comes out in the way that they talk about education is this idea that, well, I, I think it's in both, but more explicitly perhaps in Plato, is this idea that the soul is not capable of perceiving the truth so long as the soul is subject to the desires and the passions. Mm -hmm. So desires, of course, we mean like physical things, right? Like food, drink, sex, comforts, right? Mm -hmm. And then our pleasures, right? And then the passions, of course, would be like anger and sadness. 
okay. honor and shame. And so long as I'm driven by either anger and sadness or or my desire for food or drink or other pleasures, mm-hmm. uh, money, um, then then those things will always distort my ability to perceive the truth. It blind me to it. Mm. even. Um, if I might be able to perceive it, but it'll be distorted by those things. If okay. I can see it, if I, okay. but I might not be able to see it at all. So, um, so there's this emphasis on cultivating self-control and virtue in the students so that they can go on to perceive the truth. Hmm. Um, and I think what happens is there's another layer too that, that I need to get to, but even before that, if you're just looking at those two things, if we, if we aim our students at truth first before we cultivate self-control or virtue, then, um, then we're, we're asking them to do something they're not going to be able to do. Okay. And hmm. so that, so, so we have to do the one before the other. So the question, you know, which would you rather be wise or virtuous mm-hmm. could be a silly question, right? Because I don't know. Anybody, I mean, we're not, we're not asking that question, but, yeah. <laughs> but if one were to ask the question, would it, would you rather be wise or virtuous? Well, wisdom is not possible without virtue. Yeah. But then once you have virtue, you're able to perceive the truth. So then you don't, it's almost not really possible to have the one without the other either. Mm. Um, but then there's this other thing that comes even bef- prior to those, which is um, the beautiful. Okay. So, so what beauty does is I need to, I need to, I need to, I need to be educated in beauty because beauty opens up virtue and self-control making me making me desire it making me want it mm-hmm. creating the desire for it right so beauty creates the di- desire for virtue self-control that then makes getting it possible mm-hmm. and then and then getting it makes perceiving the truth possible and i think i think what my school is trying would try to do is cultivate or educate in that order because if I think if you if you educate them with respect to the truth first, then then the the risk that you run is that you're either going to educate parrots mm-hmm. who can only just parrot back to you the truth that you've told them, mm-hmm. or you're going to educate students who know how to use their reason incredibly well, but for the wrong ends. Mm. Right. Because they're still driven by their desires or their passions, by anger and sadness or, their, mm-hmm. or whatever, that they're going to use reason to justify those things and to go after those things rather than the pursuit of truth itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I want to do is create a school that has those rightly ordered, the training. In them yeah. Rightly ordered, yeah. Right? right. So in that model, then. I mean, I guess you could talk specifically about what you what texts or books you would include if you want to, but it doesn't have to be that specific. Um, in that model, do you expect the students to master one before they move on? I mean, do you start with beauty and just beauty until they've mastered it and then you progress to the next? Or do you kind of blend them all together? Talk about what that would look like practically in the school. Yeah. So on the the mastery part of it is a tricky question because when we think of masters, right, we're thinking of people who have very specialized technical knowledge in a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, so somebody who's a master of medicine is the doctor that, you know, tells me what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, so, so in, in that sense, I don't, I don't mean mastery in that sense. Okay. Um, the, the, I, I don't know that you can master beauty in the sense of like having that kind of knowledge or even, but, but even in the sense of like being able to create it yourself, like, I don't expect mm-hmm. that being able to perceive that something is beautiful is the same as being able to create something beautiful. Right. Different like, scale. Like I want to practice that because it's going to help with that. But, but doing that doesn't necessarily necessarily mean I'll be able to do this. Right. It's different skills. So I don't want to confuse the skills there. Um, so really what I want is not a mastery of beauty, but rather a, 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 an internalizing of beauty such that it creates the desire for what that beauty was embodying. Okay. So this kind of harkens back to our um, fables and fairy tales conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Because those are stories that, and we're talking about little kids here coming into the school. Those are stories that beautifully embody goodness mm-hmm. and truth. So what, what then happens is I encounter that story in a beautiful way and it makes it create that be the beauty in that story creates in me, creates in the child, the desire to be like that character. Mm-hmm. I want to be like the fox or like the like beauty who can love the beast in his ugliness. Right. Or or perhaps a, a more um, powerfully familiar example is I want to be like Samwise Gamgee. I want to be mm-hmm. that kind of a friend to somebody else, you know, mm-hmm. um, somebody who's willing to say, I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you. Let's go, you know, mm-hmm. and and the beauty of that story and the the uh, the example that it embodies creates in me the desire to imitate that. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't mean a master of beauty as much as I mean someone who desires to imitate it. Mm. Okay. So then is that something that would just always be a part of the curriculum from K through 12? Like what would what would be different about your about what the students learn in your school? Yeah, it would be putting putting the beautiful and the the good and the true in front of the students would be something that I that would always be happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I would always want that to be part of from beginning to end K through 12. Uh, but the emphasis would be on there'd be more of a, an emphasis on beauty and just accepting it as beautiful in the younger ages before you would start getting an under, tr- getting into the task of trying to understand why it's beautiful or understand mm-hmm. why it's true, but just accepting that it's beautiful, that it's good, or mm-hmm. that it's beautiful and what it's embodying is both good and true. So there's kind of there's it's using beauty to to bring that acceptance initially. Then later mm-hmm. comes the the why to understand mm-hmm. the why or the how, right? Mm-hmm. So what else would you have in your school? You've got, you've got this foundation, this emphasis on beauty. That's what really marks it out. That's what mm-hmm. makes it unique. So what else have you thought through that would be different, maybe from the average, um, whatever the average yeah. class ed school is? Yeah, it's interesting because I, I don't want to be unfair to the classical schools that are out there because I don't actually know you know, what they're doing on the everyday basis. Right. So I'm not, yeah. I, I'm not necessarily saying anything for or against 
particular schools. Um, Mm -hmm. But my my probably unfair caricature (laughs) of classical education is that it typically takes one of two approaches when it comes to the physical side of us or physical education. Right. There's either it either embraces sports in a way that looks really, really similar to public education, Mm -hmm. except they pray before their matches. Yeah. Right. I mean, again, I know it's an unfair character, but, you know. Um, I've experienced that in a lot of classical schools. I mean, it's a caricature. I think it's it's a fair generalization. There's exceptions, but I, I yeah. think that's fair. And then the opposite view is they just reject sports altogether because mm. it's not Christian and classical. Um, it's hmm. it's it's modern. It's what the moderns do, right? So we're not going to play. We're not going to have a football team or a baseball team or uh-huh. a basketball team or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what what my school would do is is embrace that that physical education that that side of it physicality of education and and this is where the part of me wants to embrace wants to steal something from your school and introduce the farm Mm. and the garden and all this stuff right so there's the physicality of it all um (laughs) i was just reading a story uh yesterday and again today i read it twice um about uh one of the desert monks Mm-hmm. And he was struggling with this demonic temptation, right? Mm-hmm. And so he prays to God and asks God what he should do. And then this angel appears to him and says, do this. And then the angel um, weaves baskets, well, weaves a basket, then stops and prays. And then stops praying and weaves a basket. And then stops weaving the basket and prays. And he just goes back and forth from the two tasks. Mm-hmm. And he says, do this and you'll be saved from the from this demonic temptation. And then the story ends with, and then St. Anthony did that and was saved. <laughs> He's like, okay. <laughs> um, Thanks for leaving out the helpful bit. Right. <laughs> Why? How? But, I, but it occurred to me that a lot of what we do, a lot of what a desert monk does, right, is just like runs away from the city, mm-hmm. you know, abandons the world, goes off by himself, and then just prays mm-hmm. and fasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And from every perspective except for the spiritual one, that seems completely impractical and useless. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes even from a spiritual perspective, right? Depending on the you know tradition or whatever, right? Um, but then like think about the kids in school, right? Mm-hmm. Like everything that they're doing to the world around them is treated as impractical. Like adults go up to kids in school and say what are you going to do when you grow up? Ah. Right? Like, it's yeah. all, it's like, what you're doing right now is just a thing you have to do. Nobody really cares about it. It's not that important. Eventually, you're going to do the thing that's important, right? Ah. And so there's this sense of, like, what I do is is meaningless. Ah. Um, it's it's a it's a hoop I have to jump through because the world was told me to. Yeah. And an education can feel very that much that way to students. And then, you know, teenagers especially feel the impracticality of it all. And then they're like, why do I got to learn algebra? Why do I got to learn geometry? Why yeah. do I got to learn calculus? Whatever. So what, what the angel was teaching to, to St. Anthony was, well, mix it in, right? Do something practical with your hands. Now there's a basket that you can take to the city and sell it or whatever, right? Or use, 
and then and then mix in the spiritual and the prayerful, right? Mm. And then there's this kind of it like adds value to what we do. Mm-hmm. Of course, we live in a world that's so digitized, so metaversed, mm-hmm. right? That we don't do anything with our hands anymore, hardly. Yeah. So I want to do stuff. I want them to do stuff with their hands. Garden, farm. If I'm stealing from you, if I'm mm-hmm. if I'm using my own ideas originally, then we're talking about um, you know just physical activity like. I mean, in the, the Greek world, they call it gymnastics or wrestling, right? It would include that. Um, in uh, Just it, for the boys? Is this just a boys' school? I haven't decided. Okay. Sorry, I interrupted. Yeah. Um, it would be, it would include dance. They would learn how to dance and control their body and those kind of micro movements, right? Love it. Um, it would include sing, song, music, singing. Uh, which is less, you know, hands-on physical, but it's, it's, um, it's connecting the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so it would have those sorts of activities in it. There may be more kind of like modern organized sports aspects to it as well. I don't know. Um, but it would, in those initial ages, it would include those ideas, those practices, those skills. Uh, because of the, the, um, well, because of what I just said, but also because of the role that they play in, in self-control, learning to control mm-hmm. myself physically, right? Um, my body and my desires. Mm. Right? Fascinating. I love that. Just, we can just combine our schools. Yeah. But I don't know. There's still a lot I don't know about your school. So, <laughs> so we'll see. Much. We'll see. So much. Okay. Um, what about, so I'm going to ask you a question you asked me. I thought it was a really great question. What if you were visiting school on one day, you're driving up to the location, where is it? What do you experience? Let's say it's a parent that just comes in for a pop-in visit at 11 a.m. on a Monday morning. Um. Okay, good question. I don't have the um, the architecture and the layout as well developed as you did for your school okay so i probably would just steal that from you fine but um but you have to buy it from me but <laughs> <laughs> steal the school from you <laughs> where did uh, it go <laughs> i can't find the school um that was my countering impression it was very accurate <laughs> so the, the important part of the school would be that it would it would have to have a place for all of those things I just said, right? Yeah. So there has to be some sort of gymnasium type thing, right, for the physical activity, mm-hmm. um, some place for dance, some place for music. Mm-hmm. And I don't just mean like, well, let's just stick them in that classroom and they can sing a song, right? There needs to be a, a, a an acoustic aspect to it, right? Because yes. um because of the role that beauty plays in getting us to goodness, right? From beauty to goodness to truth. Um, I need to come back to that too. Don't let me miss that because there's a second aspect of goodness oh, that okay. has to be connected, okay. but it could come later. Okay. Um, so because beauty gets me to goodness, virtue, self-control, I have to, I have to emphasize beauty, which means the music room has to be beautiful acoustically and aesthetically, right? I mean, visually, visibly, the uh, the gymnasium needs to be beautiful 
but I don't know what that means for a gymnasium. Like, yeah. like the mats have to be high quality. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I'm wondering that. So I need a little bit of help there from the gymnasts of the world. You have to win many prizes and put up many gold trophies. That's right. And the and the rings, you know, they have to be wood and not plastic. Yeah. Or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the uh, and then the building space itself needs to be beautiful. And then if I if I'm gonna steal the gardening idea, the farming idea, then there has to be a beautiful garden and a beautiful farm, right? So I think I think it's possible for it to be anywhere, but that could I mean that changes obviously with the garden slash farming requirement. Um garden not as much. But farming would definitely require more, a different kind of space. Yeah. So I'd have limitations on it, on yeah. the location of it. But otherwise, it just needs to be a beautiful space. And, it, you know, we're talking about the ideal school, so it has to be ideally beautiful. Mm. But in in real life practice, I'm willing to um, allow for, for growth in that area, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't want it to be in a pole barn. But a what? Pole barn. Okay. You know, you just stick four posts up in the ground and you put metal sheeting on it. Oh, that's what those are called? Oh, that's what I call pole them. Pole barns. Right. <laughs> um, you just throw out a term like it's universal. <laughs> it's I think it is, but I don't know for sure. Come on. <laughs> so, you know, I don't want it to be in there, but if it's like we're doing this for year one and then year two, we're going to, you know, build a beautiful chapel. And then year three, we're going to build a beautiful library. And then year four, we're going to build a beautiful uh, choir loft or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, like I'm willing to, in real life, I'm willing to, you know, allow that to be planned beauty. Sure. Um, but we're not talking about real life. We're talking about ideal, the ideal school. So ideal ideal. school is that it's beautiful. Um, but also I want it to be, I want it to be local. Hmm. So the mountains, the mountainside, towns in Colorado have a different aesthetic than the seaside towns in Mass- in Maine, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And um, probably Massachusetts too, but... And so I want the school to look like it belongs where it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yep. so I can't be too dictatorial, uh, too tyrannical about mm-hmm. what exactly what it looks like because I want it to look like it goes there the the thing one of the things i hate the most in the world is when i drive through a city and i see some apartment complex or houses usually suburban brand new suburban Uh communities Mm -hmm. um that look like they could be picked up and plucked up and put in any other town and you wouldn't notice (laughs) like nobody would notice like what town am i in now oh the same one as i was in before but you don't even have to know right Uh um like i go up to uh you know i travel for cersei right and do workshops or or uh consulting or trainings and stuff and you go up to like the pacific northwest or the inner northwest you know spokane idaho area mm-hmm. and they those communities have very specific aesthetic like it looks like spokane it mm-hmm. looks like boise right um uh, parts of it you know the older parts of it i guess maybe the newer parts don't i don't know and um and i don't want to go pluck pluck something out of North Carolina and stick it in Spokane and then say, well, here's the ideal school for Spokane. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm harping on this. I can stop now, but you know, yeah. So that kind of beauty, I want a beauty uh-huh. that's, that's transcendent and imminent local to where it is at the same time. 
as much as possible. I love that. Possible. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. All right. What about subjects? What are the kids going to be learning? Besides, you mentioned music and geometry. geometry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gymnastics is what I meant. Um, what else? What will the students be learning? I feel like now I have to say geometry because you incepted me. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to learn geometry. Um, Okay, so I would break down my school into three sections. Okay. So the first section, which would be the youngest students or the newest students, Mm. new to Mm. this style. Love it. Love it. Would be the poetic school. So Great. this is poetic knowledge. It's James Taylor, poetic knowledge, right? So it could be a 12th grader or a kindergartner? Yep. Same classroom? Yep. Fascinating. And they would be studying and reading and encountering beauty. Mm-hmm. So fables, mm-hmm. fairy tales, Bible stories. Not the naughty ones, though. <laughs> oh. Not the naughty ones from, fa- from fairy tales. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, Ovid, the myths. No, no, oh, no naughty myths. No, no naughty Bible stories. Don't give really. them Ovid. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I, I kid a little bit, but I was talking to this. I was talking to something about this recently, and I was like, "Yeah, you just got to be careful with Ovid." And I was like, "You got to be careful with the Bible too, actually." Yeah. That whole lot in his daughter's thing, you know. Like, but anyways, you have these beautiful stories that are embodying good and true beautiful ideas right or good and true ideas beautifully so for you know the virtues like samwise gamgee's friendship in these beautiful stories okay okay i mean sometimes it, it they embody the opposite right yeah it's, it's not it's not but they don't embody the opposite beautifully i don't think there i have so many questions but i'm holding back okay. because it's not about your Hold school back. yeah yeah <laughs> Do we have, to have another uh, fables I, and fairy tales and myths <laughs> episode? Maybe. Um, so it would be encountering those stories. It would be uh, poetry, memorizing poetry, mm-hmm. uh, music, songs. Um, so you know Taylor Swift, whatever. Just kidding. Mm-hmm. Um, no Taylor Swift. And then from there, th- this is where the, you probably wouldn't mix in the 12th graders in this part of it, but kind of on the um, well, maybe you would probably like on the nature side. I would want, like, these students would be practicing nature walks, nature journaling, mm-hmm. um, you know, learning how to see the world around them. And then probably probably the older kids would do that. But then, like, you know, they'd be counting with manipulatives and playing with their hands, you know, mm-hmm. the, the physicality of numbers. You bring in the, the numbers, numbers into the physical world more concretely. Probably 12th graders don't need to do that, but maybe a little bit. You know, it, it would depend um, on the student. Mm-hmm. And then, so then they go through this poetics phase, and it's we're probably talking to about, let's say, third grade through third grade. Okay. Um, maybe maybe a little bit longer. Maybe a little bit longer. I I, I don't know. Um, then they would move into the liberal arts, um, more as arts, probably more specifically the trivium. So okay. you're doing more with grammar and then um, and then with logic. Lo- well, logic gets experience. Like, see, that's the thing. Grammar, logic and rhetoric get experience in the poetic yeah. school. But in the in the if you have the poetic school and the artistic school, I guess, um, the Arctic school, okay. then um, then here they're learning it more as arts. 
right? Rather than just like, just rather than just in, internalizing examples of good grammar and examples of good logic and examples of good rhetoric, mm-hmm. they're actually like learning how to do it and what it is and how to see with it, how to perceive with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that starts happening as they, you know, move up into uh, past the poetic school, which I said was third grade, but I don't know for sure. Um, and then they're starting to do that and probably be more emphasis on grammar than logic and rhetoric until there was more emphasis on logic than there was grammar and rhetoric until there's more emphasis on rhetoric than there is grammar and logic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not like separating them clearly, cleanly, but there's emphases mm-hmm. along the way. And then, um, but, but all along that way, they're doing math, but they're doing math more. Um, it's, it's probably like the poetics where it's very physical, but now it's a little bit less physical. So they're moving from the concrete okay. toward the app, toward more, greater abstraction. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then beyond that, then they start doing the quadrivium arts explicitly as arts. And they start doing arithmetic, geometry, uh, astronomy and harmonia. Astronomy gets pulled into the poetic stage um, in, a, in a kind of combination of the nature stuff would too, but um, in a kind of combination of, of like nature walks, nature journaling, but they're mm-hmm. walking and journaling about the sky mm-hmm. and then, um, and then stories about the sky. Mm-hmm. Right. So like the, the stories of the constellations and it's, it's interesting how many of the stories of the constellations actually explain what's happening in the night sky, mm-hmm. like what's physically happening up there. Like why this constellation is here this time of year, but not the other time of the year. And the myth tells us why. Mm-hmm from the bits perspective, you know, mm-hmm. but then you connect those two things and the students remember that stuff and they, they start to love that consolation because they know his story. Oh yeah. You know, absolutely. So then, so then when you're older and you start studying that constellation, you're studying that constellation as a friend, right? Like I'm friends with that guy and I want, I love that guy. Right. And I want to know this about him. I want to know this like sciencey stuff about him because I know right. this mythological stuff about him, you know, Yeah. Where that's instead a of, point. instead of like, Oh, go go learn about this constellation because I said so. Right. It's go learn about this constellation because you know him. Right. You want to know him better. Yeah. So it's that's that, great. That I love approach. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, those are the three divisions. The, yeah. So then, what about the traditional subjects that people will expect? Like, let's say a parent comes to your school to consider putting their child there. Um, they're gonna look for things like history and literature and science. What What would you say to them? Yeah. I. So I think. I think. Um, the uh, I think the school would have more of like a humane letters approach okay. where like literature and history and stuff are kind of brought in together. So there's like a humane letters class that includes both of those things and moves forward. Um, I mean, through the grades, mm-hmm. the grades, through the progression there. And then so there wouldn't be like, OK, now I'm going to history class. Because what I what I want to avoid is the compartmentalization that makes a person think, oh, I'm a history guy. No, no, you're mm-hmm. a human being. You're all you're all you're all the things guy. Yeah. Right. Like I don't want. Yeah. I don't want to. I want to avoid the the characterizations or the distinctions. Sorry, the compartmentalizations and the distinctions that lead people to be. I'm a math guy. I'm a I'm a history guy. I'm a I'm a literature guy. I'm a numbers guy. Whatever you know. Yeah. Um. So. So I want to like kind of decompartmentalize those as much as possible. And I want math to be a part of what we're doing in our nature walks and our nature journaling and, and, and with the, with the, um, 
manipulatives and stuff connecting all that stuff together, right? So my manipulatives might be plastic cubes, but probably not. They're probably going to be the snails you collected or the mm-hmm. um, twigs you collected or the leaves you collected so you could identify them and draw them or sketch them, whatever, you know. Um, how many stars were in the sky tonight? Uh, whatever it is, you know, those sorts of those sorts of um, c- connections and kind of uh, in- integrations. Mm, cool. I do have a spine for, for the curriculum. Oh. Yeah, also back there. Well, <laughs> I, I honestly, when you said that, I thought you meant when the parents come, you're going to have a spine and be able to tell them, like, no, oh, we're right. not doing asking that model. question. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, we won't. <laughs> no. No, but okay, what's the spine of your curriculum? So, I, you know, I, I, I come up through classical education through... Uh, with it's almost just kind of like the norm is that a spine is history based. Yeah. Right. So you just go through the ancient world to the medieval world to the modern world or whatever. Standard. Um, I don't like that for a lot of reasons, but the main one is I think it lends itself to a, to a society that already has internalized and assumed progress. Yeah. Is always positive, and that evolution is always making things better yeah um even 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 for those for those you know good conservative christian young earthers um that reject that like it's still it's still in our head and it's still in our in our heads and our brains yeah. right and we still think that way and we almost can't help but but to think that way yeah like the the you know to use the common language i guess the the the, the world's worldview is in is in our heads right and we don't even realize all the places where it's influencing our understanding and so i want to i don't like the the historical approach because i think the historical approach gets distorted by that presupposition that assumption that hidden assumption yeah and so i'm I'm not a big fan of that history spine but i also realize it's kind of hard to come up with something else like it's an easy one to, to, to latch onto. So one of the things that I've wanted to do was consider what it would look like if you just had a spine based on ideas. Right. So yeah. in 10th in grade, I'm going to say this idea. In 11th grade, I'm going to say this idea. 12th grade, I'm going to say this idea, whatever it is. Right. Or these ideas. And then you're just looking at the idea from all the different yeah. angles, yeah. cultures and epics, uh, epochs. Are you thinking about that in a similar way to Mortimer Adler's Synopticon? It, yeah, it would be similar to that, right? Where you have, you know, yeah, you, you open up the Synopticon, you look up justice, and then it lists all the different yeah. all the different stories in the great book set that reference justice, or all the different texts text that reference justice, right? It'd be kind of, it'd be kind of like, you'd be doing it in that way. So, like, that's what I would kind of want to do with um, science as the kids get older, right? Like, let's just read everything about biology but like you know not well not just ancient texts but um original texts historical Mm -hmm. texts right Mm -hmm. but the other thing that i want to do is i want to give them a lens by which they can evaluate what they're reading what they're encountering yeah and so what i what i wanted to do was what text or texts 
could I start them on in kindergarten and then they read it every year until they graduate. But then it gets paired up or coupled with other books that they're then reading those books and mm. in light of this and this in light of those, right? Mm. And you're just kind of going forward like that. Mm. So I ran through all the books I could think of, right? So like four of them. And <laughs> I was going to make that joke. <laughs> beat you to you. I beat you to um, And I came away with the idea that the only books that were robust enough, lovely enough, beautiful mm -hmm. enough, complex enough, mm -hmm. and distant enough yeah. to survive that kind of approach were the Iliad, Odyssey, and Aeneid. The only ones? The only ones. Not no Dante. I don't. I don't think you could repeat Dante every year for twelve years, thirteen years, three years, ten, even every other year, every third year. No. Have you read it? Yeah. And in next week's video, <laughs> the merits of Dante. <laughs> I know the merits of Dante. So, Dante. I don't know for sure, but the Bible is typically the. What? Not the Bible? The Bible's not rich enough to be the, the, the text? Um, the difficulty with the Bible is that it's too close. Like, I need it needs to have some distance from us. If I was too close, I don't mean chronologically, I mean emotionally. And in next week's video, <laughs> the merits, no, just kidding. <laughs> the merits of the Bible, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I, that's really interesting to me, because in my school, the Bible would be the most foundational so that's something i that's the first oh. point that's the first thing you've said that i've disagreed with interesting i i think the bible is too emotionally close to us i think to say you have to read the bible as literature which i think is how you put it last time yeah um is a good way of saying it i just don't know if it's possible for young kids to do it because of the 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 emotional attachment to it, it what it teaches, the emotional attachment to their parents' beliefs about it, but I don't know. I this is just this is just my initial take, um, and I think the same thing could be true to a lesser extent. The same thing could be true of Dante, because of the sins and the the virtues and the vices are too. Like we're too emotionally attached to those things being good and bad or whatever, you know. But I don't know. I, I haven't thought about Dante in that from that perspective yet. So I need to just stop talking. But so what I what I want to do then is I want to say kindergarten or first year in the program, you're just studying all of these stories. Okay. Um, the myths, the fables, the fairy tales, but especially um, especially the myths that are that have a, a direct relationship to the Iliad, the Odyssey, and the Aeneid. And those characters and the Bible stories and probably even the the stories themselves, Iliad, Odyssey, Aeneid, in children's form. Mm -hmm. Then first grade, you read the Iliad out loud to the students mm -hmm. every day. You spread it out over the whole year. So they're reading other stuff as well, but you're reading the whole Iliad in, in the, over the course of the whole year. 
Um, and then they're reading other stories that I don't have this part worked out yet, so I can't give details. But the teachers would would be identifying stories that carry with it similar themes. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, it would include Bible stories, it would include more myths, more fairy tales, more fables, etc. Right? Okay. Second grade, the Odyssey. Same pair kind of groupings, right? Find the themes, coming home, stuff like that, and you put those stories in the second grade year with it. Okay. Third grade, the Aeneid. Again, the teachers reading it out loud to them all three of these years, and then, um, and then you're pairing it up with stories that go with the Aeneid theme, right? Getting a new home. Um, to, to oversimplify drastically, <laughs> um, piety. Um, yeah. And then fourth grade, there you you start with Iliad again, but this time you're both reading it. Like you're reading some of it to them, they're reading some of it, mm-hmm. right? All year long, more pairings, but now more mature pairings. Mm-hmm. So you might be doing some um, children's stories, or even like uh, young young adult stories but i don't know what that means because that's a whole genre that has a very specific meaning nowadays yeah. doesn't it and i probably don't mean that probably not so but stories appropriate to that age but also old so i know they're good mm. <laughs> i'm not saying that new ones aren't good i'm just saying mm-hmm. if they're old and they're still around and i kind of know they're good but the new ones i'm not so sure of um what if they were lost and then found again New topic for a new video. <laughs> what is this, Amazing Grace with books? Um, I was lost and then I was found. Blind I mean, a lot, of, a lot of books were gone for 600 years, then we got them back. Yeah, probably fourth, fifth, sixth grade, it's going to be Arthuriana. Yes! Um, but you want to pair it up, right, with the themes of the Iliad, the themes of the Odyssey, the themes of the Aeneid. It's interesting that you're going by themes, but we'll hash that out another time. Yeah. And then... Um, Seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. You're doing Bible stories in there, all these stories through all this, right? Okay. Seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, same thing, Iliad, Odyssey, Aeneid. But now, more more specified by me, seventh grade, you're reading the Old Testament up through the um up through the uh dispersion, the Babylonian captivity. Okay. okay? Um with the Iliad. Cool. And then eighth grade, you're reading the um, you're reading the return to Jerusalem from the captivity, the, all nice. of those books, and then like the Maccabees, you know, those kind of middle uh-huh. period books um, with the Odyssey. That's cool. And then ninth grade, you're reading the New Testament with the Aeneid. Hmm. So you have you know, oh, all the wars. Yeah. And then you have the return home and then the new, the new, the new Jerusalem, the new home, the new yeah. city. Right. Um, so then those get paired up that um, way. Then, um, but at this point now, well, probably a little bit, even a little bit earlier, I'm starting to mix in some Shakespeare plays, right? Some Chaucer maybe. Um, I'm starting to mix in some historical documents mm-hmm. in addition to histories, mm-hmm. historical documents, um, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, uh, again, Iliad, Odyssey, Aeneid, mm-hmm. but now Inferno, Purgatory, Paradiso. 
Oh, good. Okay. Right. There they are. So they get there paired they out. Those, they get to read them then, 10th, 11th, 12th grade. Okay. Um, and then I would also be reading um, 12th grade specifically and maybe also 9th grade. You'd be doing more with American documents and reading and reading those guys that influenced the American founding fathers. Right. So you're pairing up with Aeneas trying to establish a new home these American founding fathers who were trying to establish a new home. Mm-hmm. And so all of these are being read in light of each other, right? Nice. And then formed by each other. And the only thing that, the, the, so I got, that's kind of how it works out. The specifics of the stories that get matched up along the way, I need to work out yet, or yeah. I need help working that out. Um, the only other thing that, that has to be added to that would be um, that they're learning Latin and Greek in the younger years. So that by seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, they're reading them. They're starting to read them in the original tongue, mm-hmm. right? So seventh and eighth grade, because it's Greek, and which will probably take a little, little bit longer to learn. Um, they might be reading it in with the teacher's help, right? They're reading it out loud together, and maybe Greek and English interspersed or something, right? Yeah. Um, but ninth grade, they're probably reading the Aeneid just straight Latin, or it might be still interspersed, depending. On I guess his, his poetry is kind of complex. So, but then 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, just Greek, just Latin. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. And then after that, what else is there to learn? I mean, especially if you've got Euclid in the original and you're reading other mathematicians. <laughs> Ptolemy? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, People often think that when you say historical historical documents or primary texts, you're talking about the humanities, but that could very easily be the sciences as well. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. All right. Um, anything else that we need to know about your school? Anything else that makes it distinctive? What about grades and assessment? And oh, rules? yeah, absolutely. Lots of A's, B's, and C's. Yeah. I skip D's and you just go straight to F. Good. <laughs> what is a D? No, I, I think you actually said it the way I would say it, right? It's about it's about mastery of the particular thing they're learning. So if they write an essay and they fail, they don't get an F. They rewrite the essay until mm-hmm. they mastered it. And they don't move on to the next kind of essay until they mastered it, you know, until they've gotten whatever I'm asking for, right? So there's a mastery level aspect to it when it comes to the skills. Um, and then the ideas. I mean, how do you grade ideas anyways, right? Right, like, right. Like somebody's inability to explain justice to me doesn't mean they don't get it. Right. They just don't know. They just don't have the skill or the vocabulary to explain it in some cases. Right. Um, but I can't know. Like, I can't know. Do they not? Are they in the, are they unable to explain to me because they don't know what it is? Or are they unable to explain to me because they lack the skill or the vocabulary to explain what it is? Right. Right. So I don't you can't really grade understanding of ideas in that sense. I mean, unless I know that they have the vocabulary and the skill and they still can't, if I know that. So, um, so even there, right? Like the, it's, it's, are they, are they willing and capable of conversing about it and, and contemplating it, but not like you regurgitated my definition of justice. Therefore, you know what justice is. Yeah. You know? So avoiding that. You got mad at your friend in the playground who punched you when you, whatever it is. Yeah. Therefore, you understand justice. Right. I mean, that would actually be more helpful, I think, than a test. Like to see <laughs> right. to yeah. see how they react to injustice on the playground would be more exactly. a better form of assessment than a written test. Oh, I did say 
sorry, I didn't say, but um, as we're spring, we're starting to add in more Shakespeare and mm-hmm. Chaucer and founding documents and political historical documents, uh, also Plato. Oh, like dialogues. Yeah. Doing it, right? okay. Like, okay. like the Euthyphro, for example, is Plato's dialogue on what is piety. Uh-huh. You're obviously going to read that the year you read the Aeneid because the Aeneid is Virgil's answer to that question in a poetic form. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, and so, you know, you would do those kinds of things as well. Right. Nice. Nice. I like that. I like that a lot. I want to go to the school to accept people in their 30s. 30s? But it gets tired. No. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> yeah, but you have to start in the you have to start in the poetic school. Right? I don't mind. I'll sit around reading fairy tales right? and myths all day. That's what I do when I'm not at work. <laughs> okay. Um, anything else important that we need to know about school? Um, I don't. I don't think so. Not with. Not specifically with the 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 details of it. Like I think, I mean, it's Christian. Oh yeah. I don't sure. know if it's specific tradition. Okay. Um, I mean, in my mind, there's like dozens of these, hundreds around the world. Of the school that you're describing. Yeah. So you mean there will be, or there are now. No, there will be. Oh. So I don't like, you know. It's whoever, I mean, it's whatever community it's serving. It should be their tradition. Ah, I love that. I love that. So I don't, I mean, like, my school might be from a specific tradition, but, I mean, the one I'm in, one my family's in, yeah. might be a specific tradition, but, you know, my tradition isn't, doesn't reach every community. So yeah. I guess I, I think I would want, I, but I, 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 okay, so that's, that's, that is the case. I would want it to be, uh, I think I would want it to be a specific tradition um, so that, I mean, the a school should embrace a specific tradition. Okay. A particular incarnation of my ideal school I should see. embrace a specific tradition. So it should be an Anglican school, a Catholic school, an Orthodox school, a Lutheran school, a Baptist school, a Presbyterian school. Um, and it should embrace the traditions that, I mean, it should embrace the practices and the you know, liturgical practices of its tradition. Yeah. And follow its calendar and whatever, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I think I would want that for it. Um I don't want to make I don't want to make the Christian aspect of it this is a harsh word, I don't really mean it this harshly, but I don't want it to be too bland, like so so ecumenical or so universal that it's just a bland traditionless Christianity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. So I would want that kind of that kind of aspect to it. And then um, I'm not sure about the boy-girl thing. I kind of liked your approach. Um, yeah, the only other thing, I guess, is, is to go back to what I said about the good. And this is just kind of the philosophical approach behind it, right? But I think... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think beauty creates in us a desire for the beautiful. Mm-hmm. And and in these stories, the beautiful is the virtuous friend, the virtuous yeah. hero, whatever. Um, so then it creates in me a desire to be virtuous, to be self-controlled, dignified, whatever, right? Yeah. And then that then 
enables me to become more virtuous and self-controlled myself so that I can begin perceiving the truth. But then as I begin to perceive the truth and start embracing the truth, I'm self-controlled enough to be able to act on that knowledge, Mm -hmm. which then, then I come back to the good and I can, and I'm good. Mm. Right. So here I'm like kind of being habituated or trained in the good, but then here I I'm actually becoming. So it's like, it's like there's, it's like there's beauty and then goodness and then truth and then the good. Okay. And I'm moving in that way toward it. Interesting. I've never heard it expressed that way. Me neither. I just, I just made it up. Okay. So it's novel and new <laughs> and probably dumb then. <laughs> I don't, I think it's All just, the you hate. it's not that there's two different goods though, right? It's like, it's just my entry into it here is a lesser, is a lesser embody, you know, a lesser embracing of it, embodying sure. of okay. it, right? And then here it's kind of mastery or whatever, fullness. Okay. Okay. So, I like that. I think truth does become part of how we get the fullness of the good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, with the exception of your crazy ideas, I think we could kind of blend our schools a bit. Actually, I really love most of what you said. You want to do a school together? Um, we need somebody that's more detail-oriented. Than if anyone's <laughs> detail-oriented. Seems to be a super practical person. Yeah, yes. With their feet on the ground. <laughs> Come help us. Yes, definitely. We'll make YouTube videos about the school. <laughs> you go build the school. <laughs> That'd be really great. That would be so helpful. Thank you for joining us on Quiddity as we refreshed ourselves at Cisterns of Learning dug long ago, drawing from springs too deep for taint. Join us next week for another episode and be sure to check out the other shows on the Cersei Podcast Network.